Welcome to Tuke Talk, a video podcast by the band Tuke, and brought to you by Blackfrog Media. We chat with the best in the music industry from yesterday and today with a focus on the good old days of Canadian rock. This episode originally streamed live on Tuesday, July 14th, 2020 on Facebook Live. Now, here are your hosts, Todd, Brent, Shane, Corey, and Darren. Welcome to Tube Talk. Sorry we're late. It was Todd's fault. It was my fault. I apologize. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was, this whole time I thought it's been Tube Talk at three. I, I... It normally is, yeah. We've, uh, we're always uh, tube talk plagued, after with, two. plagued with uh, convenience and, uh, you know, some mishaps. And, uh, well, we notice uh, we're down one today. Uh, we're without Shane. Yeah. It was a good run. Yeah. It was nice knowing Shane. But, it was a good uh, run. It was a good run. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, he spontaneously combusted. Right. So yeah. now we're looking for a new drummer. That's like a stuffy Joe. Stuffy Joe Pete. Leave your comments below. Yeah. 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 Don vomit. We're not sure who's vomit. Yeah. Right, right on. Okay. So, so what's everybody been up to? Uh, so we got uh, two guys in Winnipeg. Uh, Fitz has been squatting, uh, using squatter rights to stay right exactly where he is at Darren's house, and. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very sticky legal situation to try and get someone to actually leave your house. So good luck with that. I know, I'm quarantined. It is. Well, well Shane was on his way, but he, he just got held up by, uh, you know, they just shut down the borders again for another 30 days. It'll just be like Tube Talk from Darren's house. Yeah, exactly. Pretty soon it'll just be all in the same little bubble. Yeah, just like kind of like all huddled up. So what's happening? What's new and exciting? Um, not much. It's been a lot of, uh, you know, Doing the thing. I watched Hamilton. That was fun. That oh, was fun. Is it How's that? that? Nope. It's pretty cool. It's like really. Uh, I mean, it's like it's one of those things where I'm always blown a lot, blown away by the anybody taking on an undertaking of like three hours worth of music or however long it is, and it's like hip hop, so it's all rap and really crazy and really fast, and I'm like. It was pretty pretty mind blowing, but those people are also talented. All the people in, that are in uh, musical theater, it's just bananas. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really enjoyed it for what it was. I, I don't. I wish I would have seen it live, but uh, they have it on Disney Plus. So I'm, I'm at a I'm at a point in my life during quarantine that whenever they release something new, it's kind of like I guess I should watch that because I've watched everything else. So yeah. I, yeah. I canceled my Disney Plus as soon as The Mandalorian. I was done watching that. I know you're 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 that guy. You're, you're, I'm you're that guy. Sort of, you watch something. Well, you have, you have to have programs that are worth watching. I know. I know. It's funny those those different streaming uh, sites. They put up stuff, and then you're kind of like waiting for something new, and they're they're kind of they don't kind of keep you. Like when Netflix is always pretty smart that way. There's new content coming all the time, you know. So they yeah. Yes, oh, I got to check that. Out. Do you find so the same thing feel, happens though? That I mean, I noticed that too because I remember when you used to watch a show, you'd get introduced to it via previews or commercials or trailers. The hardest part is now finding something to watch because you just have no, you know, no basis to uh, to compare it to. So, what are you guys watching these days that are that are interesting? Because I cannot, for the life of me, find something to get hooked on. Well it's, well, it's overwhelming the amount of the amount of product that's just you know you know is just coming at you from every direction, and they know that they've got a captive audience, a literally captive audience. So it's HBO is always a big winner for me. Every time they wrap up a show, you're kind of like, we should get rid of HBO. And, oh, what's this? And the next thing you're watching, right? I'm actually currently watching this uh, documentary series called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark." 
It, uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle McNamara, who was married to Patton Oswald, the comedian, wrote a book called I'll Be Gone, I'll Be Gone in the Dark about this uh, the, the Golden State Killer, they finally call him now, who was very, very prolific in his in his, in his murders from like 74 to 86 or something like that. And then he just vanished. And then like last year or maybe the year before, they finally found this guy after like several years of, of, of not even... Uh, just, just kind of like cold, cold case, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating as the as the technology updates. Anybody who's as much of a nerd about uh, cold case files type stuff like me, the DNA stuff is just nuts, you know. So it, it's very interesting anyway. Michelle McNamara passed away, unfortunately, before her book even came out. And before the Golden State Killer was even captured. So she was really in, it, it, uh, a big part of the, uh, the sort of reinvigorating this, this case that it died completely and then unfortunately she passed away so but it's a very interesting story to watch you know it's it's, it's that kind of stuff i find fascinating and it's like it's such a dark place to get into because after you watch that you got to go watch i don't know muppet show or something to kind of yeah palette or something <laughs> how is it how is it in relation to don't fuck with cats um it's a lot different than don't fuck with cats i think don't, don't fuck with cats is one of the best uh, documentary series I've seen in a long time, just as far as how involved it was. But that's such a, a modern take on, like, you know... Uh, but there is an interesting uh, uh, element about that that kind of crosses over, because there is a huge online community that is obsessed and works at this kind of stuff all day long. I, I, I'm not a part of it, but there are people who literally are, like, passing information around back and forth, back and forth. And that actually happened in don't fuck with cats and in this story as well as if they you know these people get obsessed with these things and they they can they can yeah. really contribute to i don't know how much it actually helps it, it at the end of the day but it sure seems to yeah it's a, it's a bit of a heavy place to live and i would imagine anybody who spends all their time living in that world it must be just like oh it's yeah. a little too heavy for me after a while but yeah, yeah for sure but see, so now we're going to take a whole new true crime angle to this show, and uh, yeah, maybe, maybe George has some true crimes he wants to talk about. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we should get right to our guest and get rid of uh, guilt. let him chime in. <laughs> I forgot yeah. I was here. He yeah. thought he, he thought he was going to talk about about music today, but it's going to be about what he watches <laughs> yeah. on Netflix. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, who has Dave Newsome? It's going to be a good show today, everybody. Uh, uh, I was commenting earlier how, like, uh, you know, there's only a few bands. We did two Tuke records so far, and there's been a couple of, like, carryovers. With Streetheart, we did a few songs. Um, we did a couple of songs. Yeah. And, of course, Harlequin, we did a version of Innocence. We did a version of Thinking of You. That is a list. We were just talking about this earlier. Corey and I just saying how, you know, sweet things in life, superstitious feeling. All these things could go on and on. We could do an entire harlequin tribute album ourselves totally. so maybe that's in the maybe that's the you know yeah. two three will be all harlequin songs yeah we really want to bring on our very good friend and a living legend make some noise for george Bologna. george welcome to the show thank you, brother. thank you very much thanks to be here and uh i gotta tell you uh you guys did a bang up job on those songs by the way so if you want to do more of them i'm cool with that man <laughs> uh, thanks so much well, it's, uh, it's, it's total labor of love. Yeah. I know that I, I've seen all you guys uh, before uh, play, and um, yeah, it's it's just thrilling to be talking to you guys because uh, 
you guys are top notch players and it really excites me when I, when I meet people. Well, you know, I met you once, but, uh, being with you here is a wonderful thing. You know, Brent, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with him before, you know, in a, in a studio at Howard Klopax. Do you remember that? Yeah, we made some new music. Howard. So you know our yeah. pain, you know the suffering we have to put up with Fitz all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll let you, you know, you, may, you, you tell me what, whatever you feel, and uh, I'll always be kissing ass because I, I, I kiss uh, Brent's ass all the time. <laughs> so I think, I think the first time that I actually saw you guys play was at a Tuke show before we were even Tuke at the Palomino Club, and we both played for this uh, cancer charity, right? And, and as big of a Harlequin fan as I am, I can't believe that was the first time that I actually saw you guys live. I mean, you guys were kind of that mystery band to me. I didn't know what anybody looked like, you know, aside from whatever picture was on the album jacket. But um, it's so great to have you on the show because we got all kinds of questions for you. Yeah. Well, you know, I did play your hometown many times, and the first time I ever heard myself on the radio was traveling through Moose Jaw, C-H-A-B. Ah, nice. And uh, we had to pull a van over and listen to the song. It was Survive. The joint drank a beer and proceeded on to uh, Calgary, I think it was. <laughs> and, of course, I was driving, so I didn't smoke or drink. <laughs> well done. Well, yeah. So, so really quickly, like I'm always very, we're always very interested in the fact that when we dial this all back and we go back in time with this story, um, in talking to guys like you know all the bands that were around in the '70s in Canada, what was the scene like for you guys as far as like say pre Harlequin? Were the bands you you were playing in was there a lot of like cover band stuff that sort of grew into more of your own stuff or was it because in our day there was that sort of full week cover band situation across Canada where you could have an entire career just playing cover songs if you wanted to until that dried up obviously but um, is that anything like what it was like for you guys back then? Well I'm a lot older than you guys <clears throat> you can tell that just by <laughs> looking oh, at me stop. but when I started uh, you know the Beatles uh, were, were just burgeoning right so I was I'm only a few years younger than the Beatles so they kind of um, got me motivated and I had a cousin uh, who lived in Kanara who was managing a band and uh, he came knocking on my parents door one day and he was looking to go see a band called the Shondells and they had um, uh, Mike Hamford playing uh, he played the, a B3 and a Rhodes piano real cool looking dude and he sang uh, he sang like a like a he did all they did a lot of Motown oh wow and uh, I Motown then right cool. before the Beatles came and uh, he wanted me to show him where this community club was, where they were playing. And I went there, and um, they were playing all covers, of course. And he got to talk to Mike Hanford. Mike Hanford told him to basically, fuck off. <laughs> I am, thank you. And we were driving home, and he, and he had the radio on. A song came on. I started singing to it. And he said, uh, hey. You can sing, and I said, "Well, I, you know, I, I was in the choir at church." You know? right, <laughs> and he right. said, "No, no, you 
sing it. Can you sing another song? And so I, I sang the next song, and he said, well, you're the guy. So that's how I started. We did all covers, and it was always, uh, back then, um, you know, it was uh, The Temptations, James Brown, uh, Sam and Dave, that kind of stuff. But this came along and changed that whole thing. Mind you, they were doing a lot of uh, R&B themselves, you know, like... Uh, and, and doing different takes on it, of course, Mr. Holmes. <clears throat> but uh, this kind of thing. Yeah, the Beatles. The Beatles did like tons of of R and B and Motown songs in their initial yeah. phase. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started their Mona. And I, I, at that point, the second band I was in, I decided maybe we should be writing songs. You know, because there's no. There was, uh, you know, I, I was thinking of creating instead of uh, copying, right? And. Uh, I have to apologize. My, <clears throat> I've got a, something in my throat today. I don't know what it is, but uh, hopefully, hopefully not COVID. COVID. I was COVID. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully not COVID nineteen. Can you taste right. anything? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. Thank you. Okay, you're all right, David. You're okay. Yeah. Is that yeah. a symptom? You lose your taste? Yeah. 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 You listen to anything suddenly. You just listen to the worst bands. You just lose your taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you wear terrible clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that's really Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so a, a few bands uh, into it. I decided that I want to be a writer, and we started writing songs. And truly, the most amazing thing was, <laughs> and I wish it hadn't happened, but uh, the first recording act uh, uh, that I was in uh, was my first attempt at writing, of course. We uh, literally drove to Toronto in a Carmen Ghia, uh, three of us, my manager, keyboard player. I was in the back seat, if you can call it a seat. And uh, we went and knocked on the door at Warner Brothers Canada, and uh, they had just opened a Warner Brothers branch in, in Toronto. And uh, we've uh, an eight-track tape, and uh, he said, "I'll be back in 15 minutes." He came back in the room. He said, "I'll tell you what, you guys have an album deal." Wow! Wow! We kind of looked at each other. He went, "Well, hang on." <laughs> yeah, don't we have to agree to it? <laughs> but we left the building, and uh, we drove to you know A and M. We went, you know. All to all the other places, and uh, they all wanted to give us a single, uh, and uh, no one had offered us an album. So we ended up being the first uh, act signed to Warner Brothers in Canada, and uh, uh, there's a band called Next, and uh, a couple of uh, we did a couple of uh, singles. Uh, were released, and uh, we did a tour with Downchild Blues Band, what a fit that was. And uh, I thought, there's nothing to this. Fuck, I just walked in the door, and they gave us a deal. Man, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, times have changed. It's a whole different thing with Harlequin. We were beating down the bushes everywhere, man. Like It was so hard for us. But we finally found a guy. This is a true story. But we finally found someone who was going to record us. He had a, he had a recording studio. He had a pressing plant. And a, a record company. And he said, uh, I really like you guys, man. This is how it's going to work. And he wrote something down on a piece of paper. He turned it around. And I looked down at it and said, I get everything. So we did a deal with him, and uh, about, uh, uh, I'll say about a month and a half later, we were almost finished the album, 
and uh, we were at a hotel room with Ralph James. I was rooming with him. <clears throat> and she called Ralph and she said, hey, you better get down here, uh, come and get your uh, masters and your equipment because they're, uh, they're closing the doors. There are receivers here. Everything. So, 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 and they said, and they said, uh, no, those belong to us. Okay, well, how's the deal going to work? Same as the last Same guy. As the last guy. <laughs> oh, oh. So they go, they go again. Well, thank, thank God the record business is all different now. Everybody's, everybody's so much more fair. You know? Everybody everybody's honest. There's so much honesty. It's, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The band Harlequin, though, was obviously after that band the next right next and then but how did you guys all get together i missed uh i i know i know all you guys but i didn't well, quite know it was was everybody else in a different band and how did that come about well, well uh, i bro you know the next broke up and i was going to um move to england england really oh wow with uh for the guitar with a guitar player at the time bob yeah. white and we had to actually book flights to vancouver from vancouver we were going to england and uh my phone rang and it was frank weiner from the hungry eye agency here in winnipeg and he said to me there's a band called harlequin they're looking for a singer and uh, and uh, those were the guys that were um, they had a band called Holy Hannah yeah John Hannah oh, who wrote oh. on the street heart Hollywood you know drugstore dancer you know he was he, he was a great uh, front man singer so they had a band called uh, Holy Hannah and John uh, left the band and uh, they couldn't do any perform any of his music because it was his. It was his. So they started to cover the band. They took on the name Harlequin because Ralph was in a band called Harlequin. They did the Holiday Inn circuit in Ontario. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so they called themselves Harlequin and they were looking for a singer and a songwriter. And I got the call. So, um, they flew me to, uh, they said they would, uh, fly me to Toronto for an audition. And, uh, <laughs> it's a funny story. <clears throat> I flew to Toronto, and I was met by a guy. Yeah, can you imagine this? About a 400-pound Japanese guy, and he introduced himself as Gaylord Gorinch. And I looked at him, <laughs> and I said, are you, are you the security, or what are you? Oh, he says, I'm the light guy. I also drive the van. Uh, get in the van. And we're, we're going, we're going, fellas. So I get in the van and we're driving and driving and driving and driving out of town. Fuck, I'm going. Well, yeah, all, all, <laughs> so where are we going? Oh, we're going to Kirkland Lake. So wait a minute, Kirkland Lake, that's like three hours away. He said, well, that's where they're playing. So <laughs> they, they were at a city hotel in Kirkland Lake. 
uh, we ended up um, rehearsing and uh, <clears throat> Shame Shame on the, was on the first album. That was the only song they had. And the guitar player was a fellow called Leroy Hawk. That was his name. <laughs> but um, learned Shame Shame. And as we were playing the song, of course, there was nobody in the place. Uh, the playoffs, uh, the playoffs were, on were on in hockey. And, uh, and um, nobody, in the nobody in the gym. We're rehearsing. Playing, we're rehearsing. Well, so let's well, so let's take a break. The Leafs are on. We go to the back. We go to the back. There's this guy who walks in. He's in, 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 in camouflage out. A hunter. A hunter. The come in. Game. We're watching the game. game and the guy said, you know, I was sitting outside listening to you guys playing. You guys sounded pretty fucking good, he said. Ralph says, fuck no. <laughs> As well. Hey, Ralph Jones, I have the biggest agency in Toronto. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, kind of a coincidence. So, we went on from there. We had an agent, and um, the rest is history. We, we flocked four years before the record. It's funny that you mentioned wow. that because in Canada, that's actually a thing. If the playoffs are on and you're playing a club, you play between periods. So sometimes yeah. if, it goes in, if it goes into overtime, you play like a half an hour worth of music, really, and no one cares. They're like, shut up! Hang on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the playoffs for that reason. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. You sound good. I think he's asking, so when you went, what was the impetus to bring you to England? You just thought, like, look, try it out, see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, because I want to know if you would have went to England, there would be no Harlequin in some, you know shape or form i guess so it's like wow you, you made a different choice but me being from winnipeg and you being from winnipeg right as well and the, you know to, to we all know we come from a small town and you know it's not the big city it's not toronto and uh you know a lot of good things happen for you by via going to toronto or you know something that happened opportunity wise but you didn't go to england so it's like a lot of these weird fate moments that um Mm -hmm. That kind of changed the changed the game. I'm just curious. Well, well uh, the reason I was going to England, of course, you know, uh, you know, Stones, the Beatles, you know, the Kinks, who, uh, you know, yeah. it was all happening there, man. And, and I want, I just wanted a piece of that action, um, Carnaby Street, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just, I was just wanted a piece of that, and um, you know, of course, it was Yorkville back then. You know, there was Neil Young down there, Rick James, Joni Mitchell. Um, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, you know, that what was happening in, um, in, um, in Toronto, but, yeah. uh, there was a bit of a scene there, but it, it was, uh, my God, it was, um, sorry, Toronto, but you know, they <laughs> love their own. That was it, you know, yeah. if you were outside, you know, 50 mile radius outside of Toronto, fuck, they didn't want to have anything to do with you. <laughs> That seems like record company opportunities <clears throat> never happen in Winnipeg. That's the truth, right? You know, so many great bands from from the prairies, but usually, like a Harlequin showcase or something didn't happen, say in Winnipeg, right? It happened because of something to do with Toronto, or right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, the real success from Winnipeg, and you have to give them their props. Is the guess who they made it international. Uh, and they always promoted her, uh, uh, Winnipeg, you know, they, they, they just sheer force of, you know, they had such great songs and, uh, great players and <clears throat> they managed to make it through, uh, without any, uh, I don't know. 
after that, you know, there was a ban. Here's the thing that uh, there was a, an article in the paper just a few weeks ago here, and they were professing the maybe you were here, Fitzy, to see this. Best uh, runner. You know who wasn't in there, Brent? Brother. Do you remember Brother? Yes. Do you remember Brother? Yeah. Down World, Bus Rider. He wrote, they wrote all the Kirkners, S Masters, Bill Wallace. And I'm going, oh my goodness gracious, how could they miss that one? Um, Brother was one of the uh, best bands out of Winnipeg for sure. You know, in my mind. These days, the Brothers Landreth. Have you heard the Brothers Landreth? Great writers, amazing dad. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you sort of have to leave Winnipeg to do anything, you know. Um, but so what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody has to leave somewhere. It's 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 too easy to be a big fish in a, in a, in a small pond. Even if your pond's not that small, you kind of have to get out there and see the world. If you're from London, you got to go to New York. If you're from New York, you got to go to Tokyo. At least on tour or something to kind of stretch I gotta yourself ask, out of it. I got to so. know. So you said New York. George, I have heard this great story. I know you have done some time in recording in New York, and there's a few good stories you shared with me about being in New York and recording, and uh, there's one I want to ask you about that involves John Lennon, but of course we want to tap into like some of your Jack Douglas experiences, you know, making Harlequin Records and whatnot, and um, so you can just like openly start talking about <laughs> yeah, so Tell us a can, can, we, can, we preface can we preface that by letting the audience know uh who jack douglas is and, and yeah, jack douglas did like well aerosmith records john lennon uh a ton of he's a, a legendary producer he's sort of is he, he sort of springboards off of the jack uh uh sorry jack richardson does he have anything to do with uh no, does he have anything to do with that? Was the did the guess who? That's right. That's the guess. But anyway, Jack Douglas is an American guy that that you've done all this international stuff. Who found this hot band from Canada called Harlequin? He's the reason you guys. He's the reason you guys got a record deal at the start, right? Well, well, not really. He had indirectly. First of all, he had. He had some friends. He used to be in a band. I forget what they were called, but they used to tour um, the northern uh, states and uh, in Ontario and Quebec. Ah. <clears throat> they had a band. Uh, I, I don't know what they were called, but uh, he played with a couple of guys uh, that were uh, in Toronto, and he wanted to help them out, and they wanted to start a uh, production company uh, and involve them. Uh, one was the guitar player, and his name, he was, uh, he, and his for I guess the other guy was a the, the uh, drummer, and uh, they started a company uh, called Waterfront Productions, and um, McFadden and and um, oh, oh God, I forget his first name now. His son's going to shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they had these two guys uh, showed up one day. We were playing into the. Uh, in Toronto, and um, they couldn't get in to see Gotto. We were playing downstairs at the Gasworks. We were upstairs in a place called The Chimney. And these guys showed up, and they said, uh, we heard your first set. Is that all original stuff? And we said, yeah. They said, oh, my God, you know, like, um, we'd like to sign you guys. We're working with Jack Douglas, yada, yada. So that's how we, uh, that's that was the Jack Douglas connection at first. Once we started recording, 
Jack heard the recordings and said, hey, you guys should come to New York. And he kind of took over from them. So kind of feel bad about it in a way. We did uh, some production with those fellas. And then Jack kind of took over. But Jack was, you know, like a world-class producer. And, uh, you know, involved with uh, John. uh, And uh, you wanted to hear the John Lennon story, is that it? (laughs) (laughs) No such trouble talking. I I can't... uh, I can't uh, get the words out. Anyways, so we're recording in, at the record plant in New York City with Jack Douglas, and uh, one day he hated being disturbed and uh, was very intent on doing some, his work, and that was it. And one day the girl comes in and she says, Hey, Jack, got to take the phone. I don't take phone calls. You have to take the phone. So he goes home. And so he stands up, he leaves, and he's pissed off. He comes waltzing back in the room about 10 minutes later. He's about 10 feet off the ground. And uh, he says, uh, I'm pretty excited. I said, we can tell that. And he said, I said, you just got a call from John Lennon, didn't you? And he goes, no. <laughs> um, really? Okay, well, who, but you, it's a, I've got a project for sure. He says, and I'm really excited. And I said, well, who could it possibly be? And he, and, um, this went on for quite some time. He wouldn't, uh, he said, I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you. Okay. So I said, but if I guess, will you tell me? <laughs> and now, uh, for about a week and a half, I was writing little notes. You know, I was down, I'd gone through all the big stars at the time. I was down to like Frank Sinatra because he was still alive at the time. And, uh, you know, because I'd gone through all the rock guys. And eventually I said, uh, how about John and Yoko? And he said, okay. And he walked me over to Studio B and he pulled a cassette out of his duffel bag and he put it in a a high-speed dubbing deck. (laughs) And he said, here. Listen to that. Give me some headphones. And it was uh, <clears throat> the first song I heard was a woman. Wow. And uh, it's just him acoustically, right? Oh, and my God. And then I heard all these songs, flipped it over, and he had Cheap Trick playing on it. I knew it was Cheap Trick because I recognized right. Rick Nielsen's guitar, you know, and uh, he had Bunny Carlos. And, and anyways, they were playing in Dakota. So they had some uh, electronic stuff on there. And um, I couldn't find a damn blank cassette. I could have just dubbed another one for myself. Yeah. I'm looking all over the I'm looking <laughs> <laughs> this, I would have had this treasure. And I've called Jack about five times since then and tell him, God, Jack, you you know, the thing's over now. Just yeah. send me a copy of that. Oh, I can't find it. I can't oh, find it, man. I'll send you, you a imagine? copy. Oh my and there's God. stuff I know still hasn't been heard today. You know, it was never released. But, of course, uh, yeah. Well, the, the best part of it is, though, is about after I discovered it was John Lennon, we were in the studio real late one night. It's about 2 in the morning, and the goddamn phone's ringing and ringing. I'd taken a break because they were doing – they were just doing some, some cutting and stuff. I went into the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, lounge – and the phone's ringing, and it's ringing, and it's ringing. So finally, I go, okay, fuck. I answer the phone. I said, record plant. And this voice goes, hello, is Jack there? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Now I'm thinking, you know, I've got to talk to him. I said, John, fucking let him, George. Come on. You know, I engage him in a conversation. <laughs> this is all happening in nanoseconds, of course. So I said, uh, <clears throat> can I tell him who's calling? <laughs> tell him it's John. And I go, fuck. I got to keep him on the line. Oh, God, God. What am I saying? What am I saying? So I come up with a brilliant one. Sean who? <laughs> just pause. Right? And he goes, just tell him this is John. <laughs> 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 but, but I did tell it to John Lennon. <laughs> That's amazing. That's pretty cool. That's crazy. Yeah. So did you end up doing stuff at the record plant or was the power station? Where were you guys recording in New York City? Was it? The record plant. The record plant. Yeah. Record plant. Right, right, right. Wow. That's crazy. So, yeah, we did a couple of That's right, yeah. So was Jack involved? How how many records did you do with Jack? The first couple? Is that how that well, He executive produced the first one. Right. Locke McFadden. There you go. That's his name. Locke. Locke McFadden uh, was the actual producer. Then, you know, stuff was sent to New York, right? We actually went in, uh, to New York to do... Um, uh, went to the record plant there to do um, some demoing as well. Okay. So, in all, I think we recorded there three times. <clears throat> of course, the guys will call me tomorrow and correct me. Uh, but um, uh, Jack did two albums with us. And uh, executive produced the third one. No, the first three albums. So three albums, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, so what was New York like for a bunch of guys from Winnipeg? That must have been a pretty big eye-opener culturally. I love New York. I love New York. I heard that It's the only large city, large city that I feel comfortable in. Yeah, but that's really. back in the, you're like talking like back in the taxi driver days. Like it's a different New York now, completely. <laughs> it wasn't this Disney thing that's going on now. But uh, it's real life. You know, here's another story. If you look on her albums, there's a credit to the Balsam Grocery, which I'm sure is not in existence anymore. Right. But at the time, um, you know, the boys liked to smoke a little weed. <laughs> and uh, and you would go to uh, this grocery store. It was a little store. And uh, you'd see these people lined up outside. You know, some guys in suits, hippies. Uh, you know, there was every, every uh, <laughs> denomination was was represented there and you'd get in this place it was like a small uh a grocery store and it was a lineup that went to the back and there was a wall and you'd go in and you, as you as you went around the corner there was like three teller's cages with plexiglass <laughs> and a little thing a little scoop thing where you you put the you know you you, you would put your money in and you talk through the hole and and, and say uh, you guys said, what do you guys need? Uh, well, what do you got? Well, we got black hash, we got sesame, we got tie stick, we got this, we got that. And you'd wow. buy. And it was like, it would blow our, blew our minds. We, we couldn't believe that they were actually selling, you know, it was all smoke, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was all smoke because that's all I was interested in at the time. But, um, it was, uh, they got a credit on our albums. Thank you to the Balsam Grocery. Of course, because if you went to, on the street and bought some stuff, you know, weed at the time, 
Um, I remember the first time I was there, I went out with uh, Gary to buy some a couple of loose. Guy was sitting on the corner, loose joints, loose joints. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you buy this joint, and uh, he give you a hit of his, right? And you know, it's, it smells like smelled like marijuana, uh, tasted like marijuana. And then you get it home, and uh, he, they put a seed in each end of the joint. So whenever you lit it, because there were seeds in the in the in the in the in the, uh, in the, in the a lot of seeds in the grass back then, and uh, you'd light it, and you get the poof of the, uh, uh, the the seed. And then after that, it was like oregano or something. <laughs> what the hell? It <laughs> <laughs> was a default place to go to get your your weed. You know, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. Amazing. So I just wanted to go back to Jack, back to Jack for a second, Brent. I know you had a, a story about meeting him. Well, at one time, and, it's a Todd and Brent and, uh, story. Okay. Well, actually, okay. it repeats itself, right, Todd? We can both share it together. Is that on on your behalf, George? We see Jack every once in a while because, uh, well, he also produced uh, one of the uh, Slashes records. So they're friends, yeah. and uh, so he's been out to a few shows when we're playing in LA or whatnot, but uh, absolutely every time Todd and I see Jack, we get excited to, you know, we of course say hello, but we always have to remind him and thank him for the Harlequin records. And I think he's always really pleasantly surprised because most people would mention a John Lennon, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith thing, and we always go, but the Harlequin records, you know, so, uh, so I, I know he appreciates that. Yeah, he's, yeah he's still a fan too. He has lot, many great things to say about those records. Well, uh, I'll tell you, he, uh, I'll tell you a little story about the Thinking of You uh, uh, guitar solo. Okay. okay? <clears throat> so Glenn had recorded, I don't know how many solos for the, for the song. And um, now there was three of us. There was Rod O'Brien, the uh, engineer, myself, and Jack. And we were taking like two bars of this solo. Now, of course, it's a manual board, right? It's, it wasn't Pro Tools back then. You had to do everything manually. So you had to, you know, punch in and out of all these different bars of, of this solo, of different solos. So we had all these things, this pattern in our heads that we had set out. And, okay, <clears throat> he'd give me a look, and I would had I had four fingers. He had four fingers. The other guy had four fingers. Because <laughs> I, I think we had 12, like 12 tracks. And we go in and out, and he, he'd give you a nod. Okay, four bars of that, you know, two bars of that, you know, and... We worked on it, I don't know how long. And then eventually, uh, Glenn came back into the room. Uh, he'd gone out for dinner, or I don't know, came, and came back in the room, and we played him the solo. And his face just dropped. He said, I can't fucking play that. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Like, what the guy, what did you guys do? <laughs> and, wow. And, uh, I said, you know, Glenn, don't get upset. Just go back in the, uh, you know, take your guitar, go to the next room. You'll figure it out, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, just like anything else, right? And, of course, you know, he went in the room because he was worried about because some of those parts went up and down the neck, right? And, and he was concerned that he might. Glenn always had an inferiority complex. Great player, uh, but, you know, he, he never knew how good he was. And I'll tell him that. To I've told him that, you know. But uh, he went in the room, came out half an hour later. Okay, I think I got it. <laughs> he was so 
So, so, so the comp that you guys did ended up being on. Like, he didn't replay it that way, did he? Or, or do you guys use the comp, or did he replay it for that? No, for he didn't replay. Okay, he didn't replay it. No, uh, he uh, he just was worried that he wouldn't be able to play it for <laughs> when you guys played it live. Yeah, like I said, yeah. to all of those parts, all those parts of yours, it was just in a different sequence, right? Oh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's really amazing because um, of all the solos that we play in a night, um, that one is my favorite because it seems so meticulously constructed to be exactly that way. So it's so interesting to hear that that it's really a Frankenstein of a whole bunch of different takes. Did he yeah. choose? Uh, either that, he's not going to comment. My phone froze for a second. For, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so. You were saying? Oh, yeah. So, so I was just saying that that solo is so perfectly constructed in my mind because I'm so used to hearing it that way that it's amazing yeah. to to know that it was actually a Frankenstein solo from a whole bunch of different takes. Absolutely. But you know, uh, again. Uh, he has some great solos on there, but we just some of them, some of the parts just came together by accident. You know, we were we were fooling around and and uh, oh no, oh, that was good, that was good. Leave it, leave it, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it just worked out. You know, I mean, it's it's a great way to <laughs> it's a well, great way to get creative. I tell you, totally, totally. Whatever you guys did, it just it's it's it, you know between him playing all those different parts and you guys actually doing the comp, it's perfect. I gotta, but I have to say that I, I, say that I actually remember hearing that hearing that, that song in a single edit before I ever heard the album. So it was it was already truncated from that big long epic solo to. So when I when I first heard the the really long version, like the album version of the solo, I was like, wait a minute, there's more. <laughs> yeah. being in Winnipeg yeah. what's great you hear those songs still on the radio I just heard thinking of you just you know probably yesterday and uh, it's amazing to hear the you know all the rock stations and there's still many in Winnipeg but there will be a Harlequin song you could flip between the channels regularly once twice a day right George I mean if you're driving around say you go you know go out shopping or golfing you're almost guaranteed to hear your own song on the radio here and it's pretty awesome that those songs still stand the test of time right still get re regular rotation yeah, not just not just winnipeg though like in vancouver because yep. i spend a lot of time my family's in vancouver my wife's family's in ontario i hear to harlequin all the time on those classic rock stations as well so i would assume across the country those songs still exist 100 percent well yeah thank god and i knock on wood um, we do get a lot of airplay still uh, to this day, right across the board, and uh, it still blows my mind. And and people will often comment, "Oh my God, I hear you guys on the radio all the time." As a matter of fact, I was talking to Ralph the other day, Ralph James, and uh, he was talking to someone from Sony uh, on my behalf about something, and the guy said, "I've been on vacation for two weeks at my at the lake." Listen to the radio, and I heard Harlequin. I must. I bet you twelve fucking times. <laughs> <laughs> it should be noted that we keep referring to Ralph, so we should probably like lay that down. Ralph being the bass player, and in, he uh, is is sort of uh, in his. Was he in the band and then hired you? Is that how that happened? Because it sort of feels like maybe that's the way Ralph tells the story. It was my band, and I found George, or something like that. Is that how that went down? 
fun as I they had they had a band called Holy Hannah, and right. then uh, John left, and, um, and then they went back to Ralph. Yeah, then they then they called me because they needed a, they got a guitar player, but he was a singer, and Dave Budzak was doing all the singing and oh, playing yeah. drums. He didn't like the double duty, right? Because <laughs> no. you should know, you know, playing drums and, and singing is not easy. No. Two very physical things. So they were looking for a singer. And that's what, yeah, but Ralph indeed was the leader of the band. Okay. And, and to my association with Harlequin, I was always the guy that was the leader of the band and I had, I suffered from migraine headaches for years. <laughs> because it's, it's difficult to get you know, five guys together, uh, to, and, uh, you know, if you're writing and, and, uh, trying to get guys to rehearse and you're young and you're foolish and you want to party and, and, and I was always a serious guy, you know, and I said, you know, uh, guys, we got to write some songs today, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, wake up, come on, yeah. to go wake them up. <laughs> Anyways, nobody has to be that guy. Yeah, so I met Ralph and I went, oh my God, I'm ditching my wagon to this guy because he was uh, very straightforward and uh, analytical and uh, he knew the business and he knew what he wanted. And, so like, and uh, sure enough, uh, eventually when he stopped playing in the band, he became my manager. And uh, as a manager, I would listen to him talk to agents and I'd say, Ralph, Ralph. Maybe you should be an agent. Yeah, because you're talking circles around these guys. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, you're an agent. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> and, you went on to be like one of the most successful agents in Canada, period. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah, for sure. So you, yeah, should get a, you should get a kickback for uh, recommending that he become an agent. <laughs> <laughs> well... He actually admitted it to me uh, a couple of months ago that uh, if it wasn't for me, uh, he wouldn't be an agent. But uh, Amazing. Because <laughs> yeah. he is the I, biggest I, agent in Canada, probably in, in history of Canadian music. Yeah. Well, they're Bruce Allen. Sure. Uh, yeah. You got your Bruce yeah. Allen, your Sam Feldman. There's a whole world of these guys up in Canada yeah. that uh, really... Uh, I, I just watched the David Foster documentary, uh, and, they, and a lot of familiar names pop up. You forget how how the Canadian industry, we always think of it, because Tuke is 100% based on the idea of music we grew up on, and some of it translates internationally, some of it does not. But there's a huge impact of Canadian music that is universally renowned, you know what I mean? So, it's exciting. That's the exciting thing about hearing Harlequin in Vancouver or Toronto or all points in between. I'm assuming back east, Halifax, I'm sure he was, you know, spinning our Harlequin tunes as well. Uh, the message is Phil Kwan, who we know from Winnipeg. He said his wife heard uh, Innocence, the song Innocence, in Havana, Cuba. So there wow. you go. Whoa. Wow. wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we had a South American following and. Uh, <clears throat> We, we we got airplane we got airplane a lot of places we never got uh, sales though that was a big thing <laughs> it's yeah. a big difference play turntable hits you know of course the sales yeah. were all going to uh, uh, Michael Jackson at the time <laughs> yeah yeah 
He was CBS USA. We were CBS Canada, right? So, mm -hmm. but I have, no, I have no regrets. I definitely bought uh, out with Todd when we were touring with uh, Slash. I would find uh, reissues of the albums in Europe, so you can find. That's right. Um, yeah, I think I don't know what the distribution is. Maybe Rock Candy or something. Obviously, you're aware of that. That you know, Harlequin Records are available in Europe. So, but I I, I loved that I could you know actually go to a Europe like a German record store and you can buy the they're they're reissued currently. So that's pretty cool. I have a well, sitting here somewhere. I have a Japanese version with uh, Japanese translations of Love Crime. Love mm. Crimes is. Uh, it's, yeah, Rock Candy absolutely put out a bunch of stuff. Uh, we're in a lot of packages, uh, you know, uh, hits of the 70s, no, 80s and 90s, and that was our name. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, hey can, I, um, can, I, can I rewind back to thinking of you and ask you a couple questions about that? Sure. Um, so, um, the, and after the riff, da 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 da, and you got that sort of Darth Vader like breathing sound, like it's a yeah. ventilator or something. How was that done? You know what a PZM microphone is? Yeah, uh, it's like a they put it on the bottom of grand pianos. So it's flat, flat thing. Sorry, say that again. They got taped it to my chest. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Wow. So okay. So it just seems like the strangest thing to add into a song. How did that? Whose idea was that? It is after a lot of drugs, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Fitz, Fitz was there when I was trying to recreate that when we did Thinking of You. Do you remember what we did, Fitz? Yeah, I do. You came up with a I think it was we breathed into a, like a, a vase or something like a exactly yeah but it oh, flowers. but it was very and we're, we were like we were spending a lot of time on this because we thought it was important to, to try to cop as best as we could that and Corey yes. is amazing at, at coming up with that so we did our own version but uh, it sounds pretty good right Corey yeah, yeah we, totally we totally just mic'd inside, inside of the, the vase and we went and you, I think Fitz, you—it's your breathing that ended up on it was, yeah. you know, inside inside this tubular glass thing, and and that's the best we could come up with. But you should have you should have sampled a James Earl Jones from the Star Wars movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, that's such an epic part of that song, and of course we yeah. had to yeah. we had to add that in ourselves. But that's interesting to hear. They, they taped it. A PZM microphone to your chest. Yes. That's so insane. Yeah. And, uh, of course, there's probably lots of reverb on it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a lot of uh, juice on it, for sure, yeah. Crazy. What, um... Oh, can you hear me? What's, um... So, we don't have gigs this summer. You don't have gigs this summer. And, um, I'm guessing... Are you golfing? Doing a lot of golfing, but I have to tell you, I started uh, playing in bands uh, at the age of 15, and I've never had this much fucking time off. I can't believe it. <laughs> I think I'm going crazy. I'm starting to lose my mind. 
you know, I, it's, uh, it's, I've never, you know, experienced anything like this. Do you guys? It's a, it's a universal experience. I think everybody kind of feels that way because everybody, everybody I talk to says, I have never had this much time off. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, keeping yourself busy in the studio or keeping yourself busy with, you know, other things. It's not, it's not the same as being on stage. When you play live as your sort of thing, it's, it's just weird not being able to play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like playing live. I'm sure you guys know that. I envy you guys because you guys, you guys have all played with these major stars and, uh, you know, that's the whole, you know, that, that, that feeling is, is hard to describe. I mean, someone who's never done it would probably, um, kill for that, you know, that feeling that we get every night. You don't need drugs. You don't need anything. You just, I get so high just being on the stage. Uh, you know, I may have given you the wrong impression earlier. I used to smoke a little bit of weed. I never drank. <laughs> I did cocaine for one week straight. That was it. I decided <laughs> I'm allergic to that. And uh, so I was pretty much straight my whole life. And uh, my biggest high was always performing. You know, yeah. uh, there's nothing like it. And if and if you get high and go on stage, you're missing out. <laughs> totally. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Next, next. That's that's awesome. I, I want to ask one, another question about um, album artwork because it seems like it seems like can you see that oh, one, yeah. one false move? Yeah. That's a great I mean, this this type of album artwork, a lot of the Canadian bands seem to be doing. Was it all the same guy, like the Street Heart album covers and the Queen City Kids album covers? They all had, you know, these female models in this yeah. really sort of like psychedelic, like what the hell's going on? Um, yeah. Is that, was it just kind of the style at the time or were you guys actually all using the same same guy? Uh, well, the first two albums we did were, um, uh, a company called Hypnosis and they were doing, well, Pink Floyd and, and a lot of big bands, right? Uh, the two guys with the cotton over their eyes, a victim of a song. Yeah. Uh, that was an expensive cover. Wow. So was the next. Love Crimes was very expensive too. Uh, and, uh, that one, one false move, I think was Canadian. Okay. Um, okay. Can't tell you. I don't remember the name of the probably you know uh, the company, but you're right. That that theme was quite common in those days. You know, I, I don't I don't know. So that's that, not crimes. Yeah. So you're saying you that, that that was the same guy that did the Pink Floyd stuff? Uh, well, not the same guy, same company, I believe. Okay. Does that painting exist as a just a painting somewhere? The Love Crimes album cover. Or? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I don't know. Interesting. Somebody might have that painting. What's that? Somebody somewhere might have the original painting of that somewhere. You never know. One time I walked into the offices of, uh, I walked into the offices of SRO and they had the Power Windows painting from the Rush album cover just on the wall. And then the live magnetic air painting from Max Rothschild. And it was like, whoa, it was weird to see them as paintings, you know. Are you showing us I'm going to show you something in a second here. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a family show, George. <laughs> Todd, we're going to send you down the original painting of the first two cracker, too. You can hang that on your bedroom wall. <laughs> well, please do. Wow. Wow. wow okay. That's crazy. So, is that at all? 
What is that? Oh, okay. It is. Uh, okay, I'm going to move it back now. I don't know if you know because I can't. I can't monitor it to see if you can see that. But <clears throat> it's a picture I took in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. It's a telephone pole, and it had a bunch of uh, uh, posters that had been ripped off of it. Right? You know, sure. and uh, I was uh, actually with Paul McNair, and um, walking down the street. And I just looked out of the corner of my eye, saw it. I took out my phone, took a picture. He says, "What do you? What are you doing?" I said, "I'm taking a picture." He says, "Of what?" You know, <laughs> and that was it. it. Really intrigued me. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys know uh, who. The, I'll show you again. Okay. This guy here. Can you see that guy? I'm trying to figure who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Who yeah, is that? I don't see a guy at all. Oh, is this one of those posters you have to go cross-eyed to see this? <laughs> I see a sailing ship. <laughs> I don't know because there's oh, glare and oh, everything. Wait, I no, no idea. There, there is a guy there, but you were not focused on it. So who okay. is it? Do you not know who it is, or yeah, who is I it? Have no idea. Oh. I put it on my website. I asked people if you know if you know this guy. I'd sure like to know who he is. Because wow. it's uh, when he comes to my house, looks at that picture, and they, it takes them a while to figure out what it is. And when they do figure it out, once I tell them, actually, it's just you know a telephone pole that had a bunch of posters on it, and, and they were all. And this one guy survived it. He has a staple going right through his face, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you go to my website, I have it on there, uh, you can see it. Harlequintheband.com. Some local artist probably from St. John's that just got a staple through his face. Hopefully that staple through his face is not like actually from the photo of his face, but Yeah, exactly. <laughs> George, I, I love I was gonna say I, I love that uh Chris Borgaffney is your bass player now. Serious? Serious? Yeah. Yeah. Chris Borgaffney and the pumps, yeah. About you know, talk about uh royalty in Winnipeg and all the good songs that you've wrote and all the good songs that Chris has wrote. And you guys, I mean, it's just, for me, that's the soundtrack of my musical upbringing, you know, and both you guys in the same band is awesome. Well, I tell you, it's a thrill uh, playing with them. Uh, I've always been a fan. And honest to God, uh, uh, Chris has been um, very charismatic uh, uh, guy. You know, like uh, I've always enjoyed his stage presence and uh, admired his writing. And uh, to, to think that uh, we're sharing the same stage uh, is, uh, well, I'll tell you, and all the guys will agree, past and present, uh, the best version of Harlequin ever. You know, it's just mm. something. Thing. We 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 do, we're doing well. <laughs> last year was the first year that uh, last year he joined us at the summertime, and uh, we had a string of shows that were just awesome. And we're doing, of course, uh, some of his tunes. Uh, we have to do success and miracle, and um, we're going to be writing some more. So great! Wow. So are you singing along with? Uh success or do you just let him take the well he gives me the nod sometimes take a verse you know he doesn't you know he doesn't like doing success that much uh miracle i leave the stage because man that is his song i don't want any part of that he, you know he's got to take all the words and that and the whole crowd of course has got their lighters out doing you know <laughs> totally. they, they did a, oh it's just awesome 
Yeah, and uh, and I guess shivers actually, and and uh, you know, just to think it's part of uh, part of my band. Now I just, but you know what? Something you probably don't know. Chris was in the band before. No way. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah about a well, long time ago. Uh, Glenn was uh, not available, and uh, we were looking for someone. I I was doing about, I think, a three week tour. And uh, Chris says, "I'll play." <laughs> what? And he played guitar. Glenn oh played wow! Guitar. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Played guitar. Uh, yeah. Glenn's <laughs> yeah. So, so for those that haven't put it together, listening, um, Chris Bergafni is the lead singer, um, bass player for Orphan, and we did "Lonely at Night" on our first album, and now he's he's the he's the bass player for you for harlequin so that that's really great yeah. i think that's a great addition to the band it's been awesome and uh yeah. you know i can't uh, i can't believe it's happening uh you know we had a great summer coming up <laughs> you know we had a lot of really good festivals coming um uh, in august and uh, of course they're going to go um, going to go to next year so next year yeah, you guys exactly. too yeah, everything's so, it's not canceled; it's postponed. That's all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, what is Glenn Wills yeah, well, doing these days? He's living in Victoria. He just had a release, actually. Um, he was he, he's written some songs. Yeah, he was in a cover band for a little while. Didn't last long. He didn't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. I'm putting words in his mouth. I shouldn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he was writing. And he's written some songs. Catch a wave. I think is the name of this. Uh, a song uh, that I was aware of, but I don't know how many he has. But he's been uh, he's been writing, so uh, awesome. I hope I hope that he can um, get it going, put a band yeah. together, go go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you guys actually did a reunion back in 2016. The original lineup of the band is that right? Uh, yes, we did. Okay. Uh, it was in Edmonton. We played with. Uh, Whole slew of bands. Uh, it, was, it was to help Fort, Fort McMurray, the you know the big fire there. Okay. <laughs> and now the you know, flood. <laughs> now, yeah. but wow, yeah, it's just getting hammered over there. So uh, you know, Nickelback was there, of course. And uh, here's a funny story for you: Nickelback's bass player was uh, Ralph Rohde. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Took his guitar, brought it to him on stage. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, oh no way. Wouldn't the Nickelback boys definitely not be where they are without Ralph? I mean, that's I don't think I'm stretching to say that. I mean, he's been a very integral part of their, you know, success as well as their agent, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's tell you a story. <clears throat> this is a good one. Um, he told me, I might get shot for telling a story, but here we go. He said, one day he's sitting in his office and Chad Kroger walks in and he says, uh, Ralph, we'd like to have you as an agent. He says, all right. He says, I'll tell you what, though. I've got to get rid of that fucking manager. He got up and he left the room. Wow. Came back 20 minutes later. He says, okay, now what? <laughs> wow. Really? Uh, that happened, apparently. Wow. Amazing. Could have There you go. So ah, how, show business. I know, right? So how is it that you... So I'm assuming Derek Godfrey's still in the band, right? 
Absolutely. And how did you find him? Because he's so good. Uh, through Glenn Willows. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn has a history of not showing up sometimes. <laughs> he said, uh, I can't do these next two weeks. I said, relieve Friday. It's fucking Wednesday. <laughs> he said, no, no. He said, I know a guy. I know I got a kid. I got a kid. He's, he's great. I said, he's going to learn a whole show, guitar solos. Uh, how about the vocals? Oh, no problem. He sings. I said, yeah, but he's got to learn all these parts. And, you know, uh, what, you know, seriously? Oh, don't worry, George. He's great. He's great. He'll do it. <sighs> God. So we had one rehearsal. Went through the rehearsal. Went, oh, my God. You know, he had all the vocal parts. Did every solo, note for note. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm dreaming this. I don't know. But so we went on tour and... You know what? Glenn never did come back. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think he did come back. Now, but then he knew Glenn sort of uh, was looking for a way out, I think, and uh, found it there. Oh, yeah. There you go. No, no better way out than getting somebody who could do your job. Yeah. yeah. And George, I borrowed your, uh, I borrowed Derek and Chris from your band because, uh, I was asked to play for the Jets season opener this year, and I was kind of selfishly like, well, this should be a Tuke thing, right? And what it was was the Jets were really streamlining towards, like, let's keep it as, you know, Winnipeggers exclusive. And so I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And um, otherwise, it would have been, uh, of course, it would have been Todd and, uh, well, it would have been us, right, guys? I wanted us to play yeah. the, uh, for the Jets. But they said, hey, if, if we can do a Winnipeg, you know, all guys from Winnipeg for the, uh, for the opening night. So I, I thought it'd be great to have, and uh, I don't know if you, you know, it's not like I had to ask you to borrow Chris and, and Derek, but I thought two guys from Harlequin sounded like a perfect scenario. So, uh, so that was great to play with those guys. I saw the whole thing. That was, that was wonderful. You guys were awesome. Yeah, it just was um, perfect. You know, I, I can't describe it any other way. It was, uh, you know, I, th I thought that, uh, way to go, Mark. I, uh, Mr. Chipman, uh, you did a great thing getting the three of you guys together because that was, uh, it was, it was very good. Yeah, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And there was a subliminal, so we were just sort of fitting music in to support <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, the, the players as they came out. But did you catch that Sweet, Sweet Things in Life was played as well? I did. I did, yeah. I know where you're going with that, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of snuck things in there. Yeah. Was, I really enjoyed it, I'm telling you. It was uh, probably, uh, I'd never seen anything like that on, um, you know, I've watched a lot of hockey. Never saw anything like that. <laughs> we do have to give uh, the Jets credit because, yeah, there has not been a live intro for any. Uh, NHL team where you know there was live music played you know alongside the the intros usually it's taped music you know how it is it's always pre-recorded or something but now we were that was we were we were winging that you know like we were watching the players coming out and uh oh this might go longer or shorter and we had to just sort of it was heads up we, we called it heads up hockey the whole time you know just watching <laughs> each other but is that on YouTube anywhere for anybody that's watching is there somewhere that they can find that probably yeah, I'm sure it is. Google that if you guys want to watch it. Yeah, I'm sure it's up there. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, right you guys should, well, you should do more stuff. Uh, you know, for hockey games, you know, two could fit right in there, right? Well, well, we have a, start. We have an original song coming out sometime. I don't know when. That that may be a great Jets theme song or or song for something that they use. Well, if they let us play music again, or they let them play hockey again someday soon, hopefully we'll be able to all capitalize on all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. What's the title? Great song for the Jets. Uh, what is? Yeah. You can't <laughs> stop it. You can't stop, you can't it, stop yeah. it. Well, the good yeah, thing is the there's hockey coming up at the end of the month, so there is. There is. Yeah. It's great being exciting. up here in Winnipeg because the Jets are in the playoffs. So yes, yes. against Calgary, yeah. Yeah. Are you a Jet wow, fan, George? That's going to be fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> Here's my coaster for my drink. Where's, oh, nice. Jets fan, no matter what, you know, I still believe. I believe. <laughs> I think we'll take a cup someday. It would be great to see that. Yeah, the fans are so so great there, and I mean it's, it's always sold out, right? It is. What yeah. I think is a great. Well, you guys know, you know, uh, the crowds here are discerning That's and awesome. uh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, for everything, for all the arts, right? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. of course, George. I know every time if you guys play Nashville or something. Oh, I was going to say if you guys play a Nashville's gig or anywhere in town, it's always sold out. And that's that's just Winnipeg. We always support, you know, the live bands here, and and you'll continue like to sell out, right? You know, like that's what's great is Winnipeg will always be near and dear for you know a band like Harlequin because you're the hometown heroes. It's just the way it is. Well, I think I think you are because you guys sold out two nights in a row. Right? Oh wow! Yeah, but but we we all we played Harlequin songs, Play, so you playing were your music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! Oh, that, that's wonderful. I mean, fuck, just great. Uh, well, I, you know, looking, yeah, I'm looking we, forward to us all being able to get back on stage one more. Yes, yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. What's your next gig? You know, is there anything like you know for sure? No, I, I assume we'll probably be playing. Uh, it'll probably be something like this. Yeah, yeah it's like virtually. This is the new the new playing live. Hopefully sooner than later. It looks like Canada's kind of bouncing back a lot quicker than the U.S. is. So, so hopefully, I, I assume you guys will probably be back to uh, business as usual a lot lot earlier than us. But as things people don't really realize behind the scenes that there's a whole process to, that has to happen when putting gigs back together. It's not like next month's schedule falls together just by like okay let's go play. You know, it's like the things have to get booked, things have to get dealt with. There's flights. There's this. There's that so but i'm betting probably locally i bet you guys will probably be playing gigs in winnipeg sooner than later well i know derek's playing uh around town doing a few things but you know it's it's hard to monetize it you know uh, uh you know because you're limited crowd and uh uh but you know he is doing uh playing in a couple of projects but um as i say it's hard to monetize it you know mm -hmm. uh, i see that um they're doing um, drive-in theaters uh, in the States, too. Yeah. Even that's kind of hard to monetize because even the cars have to be, uh, 
socially distanced. Blake, yeah. Shelton, Blake Shelton has a drive-in concert coming up, and I'm fascinated and very curious to watch how it's going to go down and how they're going to proceed with it and how it's going to be handled. Because you're right, it's like putting a bunch of cars in a place comes with its own problems. Do people honk their horn in, in applause? <laughs> we, we played Sturgis. Fitz and I played Sturgis a, a couple times, the, the motorcycle thing, you know? And when you finish a song, they all rev their engines. They don't <laughs> it's like so I remember they told they told us a story how Ozzy played Ozzy Osbourne played at Sturgis and he went over to the side and said what are they doing you know he didn't understand because it just was like this you know ocean of after every song and like it's just really weird <laughs> exactly but then I'm assuming it's going to be like honk 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 you know like be so strange be very strange but I, if that's what we got to do to go play shows then uh, I'm game. I'm game. Yeah. yeah. You know, I imagine the meet and greets will be gone, uh, signing autographs, girls' breasts, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> all things of the past, all things of the past. I know. That's that's the weirdest thing is it's going to be the interaction, which we all love. I love being able to talk to the, to the crowd and talk to people and hang out. So it really changes the entire game, at least for the, uh, the time being. I assume that. No matter what, things will bounce back to some kind of normal. It's just a matter of how long do we have to wait for that to happen. No, we'll just have to set up the yeah. same panel of glass like they do at the grocery stores. You guys will just be like a, be like a zoo exhibit. Be like yeah. the, boy, the boy in the bubble. We'll just all walk around with bubbles. <laughs> like a drum shield. Exactly. You know, we get, we get in those, uh, those inflatable balls that you can get inside like hamsters and... Flaming <laughs> lips, uh, if it does see through ball. Yeah, if yeah, it does come down to lips on the rear. We have to have like face masks in the audience. So be it. But um, Todd, you know, we've been over to the United Emirates and some of those places, and you know, we have performed to some audiences where they might be, you know, actually wearing a burqa or something. And I, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. you agree that like if you can't see people's faces and reactions in a crowd environment, it's kind of hard to tell. Especially as a performer, like, are people enjoying themselves? I don't know. Are they smiling? Are, are they yawning? Are they? Yeah. <laughs> in, in Asia, Asia, it's very common to wear a face mask, mask as well. We see it in Korea or Japan very commonly. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's a new normal. We're all going to have to kind of get our heads around at some point, figure out how this is going to work. Otherwise, uh, like I say, it's going to bounce back one way or the other. It's just a matter of when, not uh, not if. See, Slipknot and Guar had the right idea with the masks. You guys just got to come up exactly. with your own concept, you know. Duke masks, we'll just have like our hockey helmets that are for the shield. It'll be fun. Oh, I like that. Just like the, the full-on iTech visor. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. the iTech visor, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the elastic on the toque, sew an elastic on the toque, and then pull it back over your face. Yeah, exactly. You can just have the too, for, for, the, for the Jewish faith there. You could put yeah, the yarmulke. Exactly. <laughs> we can start wearing, we can start wearing wear a full balaclava that doesn't have a mouth, you know, just kind of like just eye holes. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, we laugh, but that's the future, isn't it? I mean, people will be thinking of different ways that we can all be in one room together and not die. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's interesting to hear George say about monetizing it because that's a, lo a large conversation is whether it's a wrestling match or a hockey game or a rock concert. They're talking about like taking venues and um, putting a quarter or a third of the amount of people that can actually fit in into a place. And it's sort of like, well, how do you monetize that? The amount of money yeah. lost, how do you 
you know, the the concession stands, everything is all going to suffer. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense because everybody makes their money by selling tickets and by putting butts in seats. So if you can only put a quarter or a third of the people in the seats, it changes the entire game. Well, I think like you were saying that the uh, the Blake Shelton concert, I see they're doing that out here in Morden, and I saw there was a couple of others, but the price tag on them is quite expensive. I think, well, I know one of the shows down in Toronto, it was uh, for two people in a car. It's like 90 bucks plus tax or something. So, you know, it's... Uh, Obviously, a little more than uh, well. I mean, I guess that's well. It is kind of you do have that sort of exclusivity to it, where you kind of have you know a limited amount of people. It's a very sort of maybe it's a more personal experience from the inside of your car. So that could be. Now the other question is this: Is it going to be like a drive-in theater where you have like a speaker that you hang on your window, or is it going to be yeah. kind of your car stereo, yeah. like I'm FM, very Bluetooth, The one that I saw, I saw one on. Um, on the morning show the other day, and uh, Brad Paisley. And uh, what they did was you come in your car, but everybody sits on the hood or on the top of the car. So, yeah, thank God you don't have to listen to that speaker, mm, right? Okay. It's like a normal show production. Hey, and great visuals because you got that big screen in the back, right? So yeah. his was very good. You know, well, and that, <clears throat> that works in a lot of places, but at 115 degrees in Las Vegas, I don't think anybody's sitting on the hood of their car. <laughs> They're going to die. They're sitting in your car with the, with the <laughs> AC on full. Yeah. You can't even hear the concert because your AC is so damn loud. Well, it cools off at night, though. It was at night, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess if it's at night, you don't have to worry about getting burned to death. Yeah. So that that's actually very interesting. And like I say, I'm paying a lot of attention to this, and I'm very curious to watch Blake's concert uh, and see how that all plays out. And I've not been aware of uh, Brad Paisley's concert, so I should sort of research that. It was, it was, good. It was I, very good. I bet. What I saw of it, you know, it was well-produced and uh, sounded great. And the crowd looked like they were enjoying it. And there was quite a few people because, once again, they were cheating. You know, America's like, you know, <laughs> don't like to be told what to do. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look, forward to, I look forward to hearing superstitious feeling on the hood of a Hyundai pony with a six-pack of Pilsner. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Saskatchewan thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite? What's your favorite deep cut, George? Harlequin deep cut. Uh, you, know, you know, I don't have a favorite. No. No. I have one. It's like you can't say stuff like that. No. no <laughs> I have one. Ready to love. Ready to love. Ready again. to love. Yeah. Yeah. That's your deep cut favorite. That's absolutely, my deep cut. Well, you know what's funny? We were talking about, you asked me about the first producer was Locke McFadden. His son followed in his footsteps. He's an engineer and um, musician. And he sent me uh, a bunch of um, tapes that he had. Well, he said it digitally, but uh, they were cassettes or, or mm. uh, sometimes uh, eight tracks <clears throat> and um, of songs that were never released. And uh, he's I I had forgotten all about these songs. And there was one called Slow It Down. Dave Budzak's playing double bass drums. It's a heavy tune. It sounds like uh, Led Zeppelin, right? And 
I sent it off to the guys, uh, you know, individually. And so the next day, I called David Budzak. <laughs> and the phone rings, of course. He picks it up, and I can hear the song in the background blasting. <laughs> at the top of his lungs, this is great! This is great! <laughs> well, we had a lot of heavy stuff in the early days and and of course you know the record companies didn't want anything to do with it right no 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 guys something light and bouncy come on you know you yeah, have any disco uh, yeah <laughs> but we had some way out there. Some, some of the tunes were way out there and some of them very heavy and um it's kind of nice to hear them again any release plans <laughs> for songs like that yeah, yeah i'd love to hear those yeah is there, is there any plans on getting that out well, you guys know gordo of yeah. course. We love Gordo. Yeah, he's yeah, been in town here for years and years. And uh, he was over at my place uh, uh, about two weeks ago. And I played him that song. I took him because he's a drummer too, right? So I, I brought him in my office here and I, I played him the song. He went, George. Holy fuck! Man, that's a great fucking song, man. We should record. We should release that. We could make a. Come on, I'll I'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense because you we know should. anytime you can have some sort of some content, some product, product that no one's ever heard before, you're always going to get people curious, curious uh, people, people looking, looking for that for sure. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. We, may, we may do that. You know, sure. you know, he was he was earnest about it. He was like blown away. And I, I thought, well, you know, he's pretty hard to blow away. I played him some of my newest stuff, and he, he wasn't that blown away. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, we're all looking forward to everybody and uh, new stuff and new shows coming up. But uh, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show today, George. Um, yeah, yes. thank you, George. And uh, we should address the fact that Shane will be back with us next week. Uh, Shane took a personal day today. Um, some people were asking, and I yes. just missed the, uh, yes. the top of the hour. So Shane will be back, and uh, we'll be back. Um, if you enjoyed the show, um, you feel inclined to do so, click on the little stars button down below and uh, help out the show, and uh, we'll be able to afford uh, to get Brent his own place and his own microphone for next week. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, at least keep them fed at least keep them fed yeah exactly so we want to thank everybody for tuning in thank George for hanging with us uh, great talk and uh, we'll see everybody same time same place next week Take bye care, everybody guys. thanks George thank you